All right, and hello and welcome to RealComs part one of the Innovation Tax Tech Stack series. I'm Chuck Nicewanger, president of NiceNets Consulting, your RealCom guest host for today's webinar, Creating a Comprehensive Digital Infrastructure. Thank you for tuning in to the live session or viewing this as a recording. This session is a great opener for those companies developing your application portfolio and data integration technology roadmap. It's an excellent primer to this series, as well as the investment management education track at Realcom. So I'll talk about that at the end. But before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items to help you have a great webinar experience. To our live attendees, we do encourage you to use the Q&A box at the bottom left of your screen to submit questions or comments. We'll try to get to all of those questions, but if we don't get them answered during the webinar, we'll follow up with you once the event is concluded. And you'll find today's presentation along with presenter bios in the handout section of your GoToWebinar control panel. For the best webinar experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos. Don't watch Netflix, watch us. We're having a much better time here. If you are experiencing any technical issues with connectivity, sound, video, the best thing to do is just disconnect and click on the webinar link again. You can also email Sarah Bemperid at s B-E-M-P-O-R-A-D at realcom.com for any help during the event, but don't worry, you won't miss anything since you'll receive a link in the webinar recording in the next few days. This educational webinar is supported by our outstanding sponsors. DealPath, for example, is real estate's most trusted management platform empowering smart investment decisions with data-driven insights and digital collaboration. MRI software is real estate software to transform the way communities live, work, and play. Explore MRI's comprehensive, flexible, open, and connected technology platform and applications. Real Foundations is a professional services firm on helping real estate companies make smarter, more profitable decisions. They are recognized as a world leader in digital collaboration. We are grateful for all these contributions by the vendors to our industry, to Realcom, and to educating our viewers in sessions like these. If you're interested in optimizing your application portfolio and corresponding business processes, I do recommend including these companies as part of your vendor evaluation process. And finally, our moderator is Ryan Alba, real estate technology innovation strategist Sorry, Ryan, with Wells Fargo. Welcome, Ryan. See, I almost messed that up. <laughs> That's all right, Chuck. Thank you. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you. You're great. Uh, you have a great panel, and I'm going to get out of your way and catch up with you at the end. Take care. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Chuck. And I'll just reiterate here. Um, uh, let's uh, would love to make this uh, as interactive as possible with the with the live audience. So please uh, find that Q and A section on the uh, on the panel uh, um, so that we can have some good interaction with uh, with our panelists today. Um, but before I get on with some of the first introductions, um, let me let me just say a, a few statements here. Uh, you know, today I'll, uh, we'll be focusing on. As the, um, as the title here shows, uh, the stack of tools that we uh, use to support our corporate and commercial real estate lifecycle management processes. So while you know, much of the conversation will be around probably technology, I think what we will find is a underlying theme of business process and, and making sure that um, we have end-to-end uh, -end life cycle 
real estate lifecycle process seamlessness, whatever that means to your particular organization. Um, we'll start uh, um, with John uh, talking about um, some of the building technology components, uh, OT components, and, and, and that part of the stack. We'll move on then and talk a little bit about some of the application components. We'll talk about a couple different perspectives here on, on, on a full stack um, a product, uh, uh, products and how, how those products kind of can come together in a cohesive stack. Um, uh, but if we think, though, keep in the back of your head as we, as we go through this discussion, you know, from workplace or location strategy to transaction management, uh, administration to, to construction to occupancy space and facility management, you know the the goal here is to is to come up with this this uh, this stack uh, that helps support that life cycle. So the depth the depth of capabilities in each of those areas is really dependent on your organization and, and the needs of your organization. But at 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 the core, um, what I'm hoping that you all gather from this call is uh, that it in, that that what is needed uh, the supporting components you know in, include things like master data, uh, uh, systems that leverage open API, and I'm sure there'll be a few more uh, themes that pop out here during our conversation. So without further ado, why don't we go ahead and get started? I would like to introduce to you all, let me just note one more thing in the, in the panel, there are uh, a couple of handouts. Um, one of those is the slide presentation that you'll see today. Um, the other is a speaker bio, so I'm not going to read everybody's speaker bio. I will introduce them. Uh, if you're interested in, in more detail on, on what they do, uh, please feel free to, to open those handouts and the speaker bios. Um, John, uh, why don't you go ahead and come on screen? I saw you pop on there for a second. John, uh, John is uh, IT at Heinz. Um, John, uh, take it away. Talk to us a little bit about uh, the building technology and OT components. All right. Um, the most important part of any of these stacks that we're looking at as we move forward in the future of the new building is starts with our building itself. Uh, one of the big problems with buildings out there today, 80 to 90 percent of the buildings are still in our existing environment. We have individual stacks of equipment. We have ind individual stacks of technologies um, running on disk separate networks. The various components don't have any ways to really talk to each other. Uh, there are tools out there that you can plug in on these different pieces, but it's not very efficient. It doesn't cut costs. It doesn't help save. And more importantly, it doesn't help improve the cybersecurity stance of a building, which in the last, I was just reading this the other day, in the last three years from the pandemic, we've seen a 600% uptick in cybersecurity crime involving buildings and attempts at bots and such to penetrate buildings and get ransomware out there. And it's not done necessarily in a intent to, with the intention of attacking any given building, Anybody can become vulnerable simply because they're bots and they're just looking for openings. And all they really want is to give you a reason to have to pay them to get your systems back. So what I'm focused on in my role with Heinz, and I've spent 23 years with Heinz, I've spent the 
up until the last six years on the IT side, doing their data center, doing their infrastructure. And I wanted to bring that technology and knowledge over and our CIO at the time and asked me to start working with construction and co's to come up with better ways for our buildings to use their networks. And I've been attending Realcom for many years and I've heard the talk of, oh, don't bring IT in. IT's the bad guy, they're gonna break things. We went in with a different mindset. We went in with sending me in, learning how the buildings work, learning the technologies, learning the partners, learning what we need to do, how to make the new buildings under construction be built and constructed with networks that are ready to go day one. And so to move forward a little bit with that, we go with our, now our network strategy of the converged network. Um, there's a lot of pieces to this. The biggest thing in impacting the design, however, is the broadcast domain and the VPNs and the VLANs and keeping the network still safe and separated and secure through software def defined networking, which is your uh, virtual local area networks. But more importantly, also adding really robust firewalls at the base of the building. And also, as we've learned from COVID, we've had a lot of change in the way people work. We've got a lot of our engineers that are no longer on site or they're not on site every day. They they have, excuse me, they have to have a re reliable and intelligent way to get into the building remotely and affect change even after hours on the weekends when they normally wouldn't be there to make sure that the tenants can still use the space because tenants now use the buildings 24 hours a day, seven days a week often. And that is done with robust firewalls and security. And to that end, it's also very important to start looking at having redundant circuits. But you also need to work with your ownerships and have them understand that when you start talking about bringing in these higher end networks and these higher end equipment, you're also looking at cost reductions. And so you need to figure out and do this intelligently and work with your vendors and understand what needs to communicate and understand what parallels can be brought together amongst the different systems and that use a redundant circuit system to come into the building from, don't use the same vendor, use different vendors, just separate paths so that you know and guarantee that you can always have your engineers and your people and your internet access from the building. Uh, the bottom line, I've been always going with that the we are now building the central nervous system of the modern buildings to help build the base of the stack for all the other pieces, all the other applications to come together and pull all the players in and enable the functionality of applications. Uh, Ryan? I don't know that I took yeah, my full okay. nine minutes, but we can go ahead and jump in the question. No, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, I don't want to go too me? deep. Because, yeah, I got you. Okay. Yeah, no, th thanks, John. That That's great. Um, so so a couple of things, I think, to pick up on there. You, you mentioned things like redundant circuits, firewalls, uh, broadcast, which, you know, maybe may, to those maybe less technical folks, 
is the crosstalk between between the systems uh, and and um, maybe even even more John in your experience um, the crosstalk between devices that talk a similar protocol and even different protocols and and can you just talk a little bit more generally around network architecture and and some of those components and how that played a role in in your last six years versus the previous um, you know years in your IT did, did you see changes are there differences between your traditional IT network and your and your OT network in in one of these converged um, solutions I think more of the change comes in what equipment is used uh, there are certain pieces certain types of equipment out there uh, we've often found conflicts with uh, a lot of the providers will come in and they'll want to put their Jace devices on or their own specialty equipment and their own switches and hubs to attach to it. And when you're doing a converged network, if you don't have that communication between the vendor and the management company who's running your converged network, and some companies choose to do it in-house, but regardless, if those two people aren't talking to each other, one device plugging into a converged network on a building level can cause the rest of the network to come down. So there has to be planning involved. This is not something that we used to do in the past. You know, you asked about what was what was it like before six, six years ago? IT didn't care about the building networks. IT said that's the engineers and the building take care of that. The And the vendors like Siemens and JCI and such were providing those networks and just putting them in. A lot of times they were just hubs. And talking about the difference between the broadcast domains where a bunch of hubs stacked together, one device like a video camera being plugged in could shut down the whole entire system. And we've had many cases like that where we've had to go in and it's a combination of smarter equipment and smarter design. So you can't do one without the other. You have to have a design ready to go. And I'm guessing some of some of that smart equipment um, is also needs to be a little bit more uh, uh, cyber secure. You had mentioned cyber security there as as well for for a moment. Where where do you go? Uh, how, how do you assess and where do you go to kind of get your uh, best information on cybersecurity and OT? Well, I do have myself registered and signed up with, for most of the alerting systems from Alienware, from the FBI, from uh, NIST. Uh, they all have different programs you can set up to get industry alerts so that you have things to be on the lookout for. But more importantly, the firewalls have to be adaptive. They have to be able to, uh, one of the things, they have to be able to change on the fly. So if a, there's a zero day attack that's been realized, we need, you need a partner or you need your team ready to push a change out where you may have had one building hit, but you don't want any others hit with a zero day attack. You need to be able to push that on the fly and get it out there. So that doesn't come with your off the shelf firewalls. You only get that from firewalls from the top manufacturers, your Palo Altos, your Cisco's, uh, other players in that field. Yeah, good. Thank you. Um, I appreciate it. We'll we'll bring John back um, at the end for for some Q and A. But let's uh, let's give him a little bit of a rest, um, and uh, we'll move on to the next 
segment here. Uh, but before I introduce our next uh, speaker, uh, we have a quick video uh, from Real Foundations uh, to show you. Real Foundations is a professional services firm focused on helping companies that develop, own, operate, or invest in real estate make smarter, more profitable decisions. From the building itself to the way it's developed, operated, and capitalized, no firm understands the inner workings of the entire real estate ecosystem as well as Real Foundations. We make real estate run better. All right, Dean, can you hear me? We cannot you hear you. You may nope, be there on mute. There you go. There you go. There you go. There you go. Good, good. Thank you, Dean. Thank you. Uh, great, great video. Um, uh, uh, Dean is with Realcom. He is a global head of digital support services at Real I'm Foundation. Real <laughs> yep, with Real Foundation. Sorry, sorry about that. Uh, Dean, uh, we heard a little bit about uh, John talk about the uh, building technology and, and OT. Um, I think you're going to speak to us a little bit about application space. Is that right? Yeah, I'll give you kind of an overview of what Real Foundations does. It goes and assesses and works with our clients as to uh, the operational stack of a business. So go from there. Excellent. Excellent. Well, take it away. Floor is yours. Okay. Well, y'all can see the uh, slide in front of you. Um, you know, Real Foundations as a consultancy has been in itself around for just over 22 years. Um, actually, uh, the leadership team has been together for longer than that. I, it says 25 on this slide. I've actually known most of them for about 30 years um, in my career, um, having worked day one with them in 2000, and then um, uh, have gone off to private industry and now have come back and have doing some work with them on a uh, managed services group that they have. So uh, I, you can read this and you get this in your download. So, uh, but you know, pr provide primarily management consulting services and managed services in the accounting data services and um, application support world. So when we go into a company um, and our, our first look is, you know, this whole operational model and the operational model takes into account the strategy of the business, what function, what work, what, um, uh, what is happening inside the business and then the sourcing model, the people doing the work and the information model as to the information that is coming from the various solutions and how is that all being used to effectively run the business, to effectively make sure that things are going as they should within the business and providing the business the information that it needs. And then, of course, as everything, there's always an improvement opportunity as you go through those processes. And as we've seen in our careers, you know, going through uh, the real estate industry, the, the, the solutions change, the solutions evolve, um, they merge. Um, and so we just, you know, keep on top of that and, and you know, look at this operating platform. As part of that operating platform, um, really, at the end of the day, what I think is most important on this slide is that while there is a platform that is up here in the top of this uh, slide, really, each of these models have a governments piece, a functional measure piece or a measurement piece, a work map or a map of the process or the map of the technology that are happening. And then all of these things are connected. 
and how are they connected? They're connected through either technology, they're connected through communication, and they're connected through APIs. Lots of ways that the you know the information moves around in the um, in the environment of the real estate world, from all the way from the day you acquire or develop or buy something uh, for land to all the way to the day that you dispose of it and, and go through there. Um, from a functional model perspective, you know, what is the work being done by the real estate enterprise? What is happening? What are we doing? What is our purpose? Why are we doing these things? And when you look at, you know, and taking on but what John was just saying is the fact that, you know, building operations is a big part of that and continues to be a growing piece of that and how that operation happens technology wise. But also there's a whole functional aspect behind that of how is that all supported? So we look at that as part of this. On the sourcing side is the people doing the work, the structure of the work being done, and how is that supported by the technologies in place? And again, talking back to what John was saying is that that now is becoming even more prevalent in the world of business operations. It's spreading out, you know, with the advent of COVID and the work and the work that's being done over the last two years, we're seeing that that whole collaboration piece is becoming more and more of a challenge and an issue and a concern and also a strategy that some companies are putting in place and how they're doing that work. And then on the informational model side is that what is the information coming in? Who is supplying it? What are the providers? Um, and that's not just internally, but also externally. You have third party property managers, you have external um, engineering corporations that might be working with it. When I was with uh, with Tirit, um, we had an external group that we had to get information from on the management of our buildings. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that we understood how that all, all that information flowed through our solutions and how that got to our management teams. And so with that, Ryan, um, I had to, we can ask some questions and go from there. I can't hear you, Ryan. I'm sorry. Uh, thank you. Sorry about there that. Uh, double muted there. Uh, no so this, um, let's start maybe with the operating model that, you, that you've shown here. Mm -hmm. This is something I'm gathering has been in, in the works for some time, um, the way that you guys have kind of put this together. Can, can you talk about maybe, you know, how it's progressed, where, where it started, you know, kind of how it's come to be today and, you know, what have been some of the recent changes, especially with things like COVID, as, as John was mentioning before? Well, how, how it came to be is if you look across all the verticals of real estate, the, 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 the functions and the processes inside are very similar across all the platforms. They're all done a little differently, maybe within a vertical, or they're done differently because the vertical focused on a specific type of real estate, a specific portfolio. But now, and we've seen in the last 10, 15 years of the world, is the fact that investors and owners are now managing multiple types of pieces of real estate. So you've got, you know, mixed use and commercial with residential. And, and so there's that opportunity. The one thing that we at, at Real Foundations have been doing for a number of years is that the way that we do our work has always been open, collaborative, you know, and we want to make sure that as our team members were working on specific solutions, they had the ability to talk and crosstalk as to what they were doing and how it was working. Well, in the early uh, teens of the 2000s, 
Real Foundations adopted a strategy around what's called the modern digital workplace. And it was already in place and looking at specific tools to help collaborate across the um, multiple offices of Real Foundations across the world. And lo and behold, when COVID hit, boy, was that seen by a number of the organizations that we were working with, because at the, at the end of the day, we were able to continue on with the projects. We were able to support the projects with this advent of the fact that you couldn't travel. Typically, you were on site with a client, but we proved very quickly that you didn't have to do that, but yet the work still get still could get done, would still be in place. The people were still communicating, and that opened the eyes of many of the clients that we work with to say, hey, wait a minute. If they can do this, why can't we do this in our organization? And now the fact that if anybody thought two years later, we'd still be working remotely or doing this hybrid work thing, we've been able to hope to implement some of these modern digital workplace strategies within the operating model. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, talk to us a little bit, Dean, about um, an organization, as you work with different uh, organizations and, and kind of initially engage with them, how much does, uh, or maybe just talk to us about that, an organization's maturity um, in process and some of the modeling that, that you have here. How does that impact their ability to kind of adopt or how easily it is to kind of shift to this model or what are kind of the, some of the starting points in terms of, you know, engaging, especially seeing that probably we have a different, differing levels of maturity in our real estate organizations? Well, it's interesting because you think about many of the real estate organizations that have been around for years and years and years, and yet you still, as as our clients, you still would see that it was the same old thing every day, where the way the information was pushed around, way the information was shared. It wasn't being done in a manner that anybody could consider the fact that, well, wait a minute, I'm not in front or I'm not sitting next to the person I would get that from. I'm not sitting across from that person contacting that person because I'm not in the office is very difficult now. And with the advent of the solutions that were in place now going to the web, you now start to see, hey, wait a minute, we can start to share this information in different ways. We can now start to connect these solutions in different ways. And you know, one of the things that you saw, I think, during the teams was the fact that the whole opening up of solutions with APIs and opening up solutions for connecting and being able to bring information to the forefront to the management teams and going, hey, wait, this is this is exactly what I need. And as we all know, if it doesn't work on this thing today, an iPad, if it doesn't work on a phone, and, and an executive is looking for it, even as the work or as the workforce matures, it's going to be very it's, it's going to be very difficult to have a solution that continues to stay viable in a company unless they all can talk and you can get that information. Yeah, excellent, good. So, so you made you made the connection exactly uh, right. So, I wanted to make sure that we, that the audience had a connection to kind of the the concept here uh, uh, and the and the tactical, which is this 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 stack that we're trying to conceptualize and the connectivity between the parts and pieces and the importance of this operating model. So I think, I think you, I think you just did that, which was perfect. Um, good. All right. Well, we, we will bring you back to Dean. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, move on to our next segment. And, but before we do, I'm going to, uh, we're going to play another video for you here from DealPath. 
To invest millions in today's market, your deal team can't rely on emails, spreadsheets, and physical documents. Let's go from offline to online and make data your competitive advantage with DealPath. As your command center, DealPath streamlines deal flow from pipeline to portfolio management, empowering you to realize operational efficiencies, grow top line, and uncover the most profitable opportunities. Built by real estate experts, chosen by market leaders. The industry's most trusted real estate deal management platform, DealPath. All right, I think we're back. Do we have Rob? I'm here. How are you, Ryan? Excellent. I can hear you yeah. and see you good. How are you today? Good to see you. Terrific. Good. Thanks for, for Excellent. having us. Here. Excellent. Okay. Yeah, good, great. Great. You could join. I really appreciate it. Um, uh, Rob is with DealPath. He is uh, the senior VP of, of product. And uh, I think what you'll see here uh, is just another component of the stack. Um, this one in particular uh, on the application side. Uh, Dean, I won't, I won't steal any, uh, uh, sorry, Rob, I won't steal any of your thunder, so uh, please take it away. Yeah, <clears throat> terrific. Well, thanks, Ryan. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, uh, DealPath occupies a very different position in the total tech stack, uh, but a very important one, whereas a lot of the other solutions that we're going to talk about today really are more about managing the asset once it's in your portfolio. DealPath uh, today really addresses kind of the beginning and the end of the asset life cycle. So how you bring assets into your portfolio through the acquisitions process, and then when you're ready to exit that investment through the, uh, through the dispositions process. So just a little bit of background, quick history on DealPath. The company was founded about eight years ago in 2014, and the founders identified that there was a significant problem that existed in the real estate acquisitions process. And this problem was only got bigger and only exacerbated as the size of the asset increased. And that's that, first of all, there were, in any acquisition, there was dozens, sometimes hundreds of people that were touching that, that acquisition. It was a highly fragmented, very people-intensive process, but it was also a very expensive process. Just to be able to get to a point to determine whether, you know, a firm would want to, you know, engage, make an offer on an asset, they would spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, sometimes millions of dollars in outside consultants, procuring data, you know, environmental studies, legal, you know, certainly, um, you know, through the due diligence process. So it was this fragmented and very expensive process. And in the software world, in commercial real estate, there were lots of solutions out there that helped companies manage those assets once they were part of their portfolio, but almost nothing that really sort of dealt with the, you know, beginning and the end of the real estate life cycle. So that became the impetus for deal path. And DealPath built a cloud-based platform that could, you know, number one, deal with this highly decentralized data, you know, hundreds of spreadsheets and emails and lots of disparate systems that were housing this important information through the offer and due diligence process. A very complicated and laborious reporting process trying to get information to the investment committee and to senior executives and just really just rife with inefficiency. So, nope. Oh, Sorry, I'm going to skip ahead. There we go. There. So the solution to that was to build a scalable, centralized, cloud-based application that would allow for real estate organizations to source deals, manage information in a single system of record, 
and then be able to report to and involve all the key individuals involved in the process. Uh, and you know, a, a good part of that is automating the workflows, automating what the processes are across various teams and throughout the acquisition process to be able to ex expedite the way reports are generated, expedite deal analysis. So DealPath was really sort of constructed around those principles. Uh, and you know what we've proven, and I'll talk a little bit more about our, our process, but that we've been able to provide deal teams with an ability to process more opportunities and just simply run more deals uh, through their pipeline, which generates you know huge returns, huge ROIs for the companies that implement it. But just as importantly, it provides a single source of truth, a single pipeline for all the deals that any real estate organization is currently you know, looking at, working on, and get away from those disparate and siloed systems. So uh, we've also recognized, uh, as we worked with a number of larger and very sophisticated uh, real estate companies, you know, big global allocators, investment managers with you know, hundreds of millions and in many cases, billions of dollars of assets under management that this type of application, the type of software DealPath is, can't just simply live on its own. It has to work with other platforms that are already in use within those organizations, right? It has to be fully interoperable with the rest of the, you know, the enterprise tech stack as we're talking about here today, the rest of their technology ecosystem. So there's some key questions that our, our customers ask when they're looking at DealPath as a solution. And that's, you know, number one is, you know, does the platform talk to other software? Can it integrate? You know, is there a robust set of APIs that allow for data to move back and forth? Is the information scalable? Can it touch all the different parts of my, my tech stack and throughout the entire life cycle? So one thing we recognized early on is that, you know, the, this type of application can't be an all things to, you know, one size fits all, all things to all people uh, process. So it's a highly customized solution, but it's also, we deploy, we implement a very structured deployment and implementation process. We've been very successful in this implementation process across roughly about 250 of the largest commercial real estate investors in North America and, and globally. Uh, and some of these investors include companies like, uh, you know, Blackstone, AEW, Oxford, Nuveen, Manualize. And one of the keys to that process is that the implementation itself, just getting the software onboarded, is highly structured, uh, it's methodical, but most importantly, it's highly metric. We want to be able to measure success throughout the process. And we learned that in an implementation, don't shoot from the moon immediately. Just make sure that we have, uh, you have achievable milestones throughout the implementation process. If you bring on ever-increasing uh, numbers of people, different, different teams within your organization, and start with and focus on first the most inefficient processes that you have. But as we'll talk about maybe throughout this, this panel, uh, make sure that you understand what the goal or the expected outcome of that technology investment and that implementation is. So Ryan, with that, I'll just turn it back to you. Yeah, th thanks Rob, that, that's really great stuff. You, you touched on a, no a number of things there that I think I might have referenced at the at the top, um, which was um, open open architecture and what I call master data. I think you call called it centralized data. Um, so thinking about the presentation that Dean just gave and the 
kind of the the operating model uh, uh, target state perhaps when when you engage with with your with your clients how important is that organizational maturity how how important is it that their systems have open APIs that you can integrate to or that they're there in the first place I think maybe some, yeah. sometimes there's some gaps um, or or that don't have a data strategy like that how do you kind of how do you help those folks, or what? What is the advice that you give them, or how do you work in those types of situations? Well, I mean, so I guess maybe I'll kind of answer it in two parts. First, with respect to the, uh, you know, sort of the the ability to connect to and kind of the, the open architecture of, of other systems, I think it's absolutely critical. I mean, today, personally, I would not uh, invest in any solution that that can't demonstrate that it has the ability to, you know, push and pull data with other platforms and do that. In real time, I think that's just become table stakes. You know, in, in you know, 20 years ago when I first got into commercial real estate technology, we used to talk about, you know, a single solution platform, right? Like one system that could end, you know, an ERP platform that could handle everything end to end, or it might have been, uh, you know, for for systems management, building management, et cetera. Well, that doesn't exist anymore, right? Like those days of single system solutions are just gone. There's we're an ecosystem of really excellent point solutions, but now with the ability to, you know, work with others. So I think that's critical. And with respect to the organizational maturity, you know, some companies already have it going in, but for those that feel like they don't have that, you know, working with an experienced vendor that's done this hundreds of times, like, like DealPath has, we can help to bring more of a best practices approach. I know Real Foundation certainly does that, you know, with their consulting clients and among others. But be able to bring in best practices that they've learned. So rely on your vendor, rely on your consultant to help show you, uh, you know, what are some of the better and more efficient ways to be able to deploy this technology in your organization. You shouldn't necessarily have to already have that maturity to be able to leverage these solutions. Yeah, good, good. Uh, that's, that's great. And, and then, you know, I, I'd also kind of commented or tried to break break apart Maybe some of the bigger chunks of this um, real estate lifecycle management uh, process that I, I like to discuss. You know, um, one of those was the, kind of the uh, what we'll call the transaction space. Um, how do you how do you see that? Or, or and I ask that question because I think what is critical in this in this stack is really the handoffs, right? We you guys do a great job at what you do. You know, the next guy does a great job down down the down the road of what they do. Otherwise, they wouldn't be you know leading product vendors. Um, and so, I think the focus maybe is on the handoffs, the inputs and the outputs uh, uh, to to and from your particular tool. Can you talk to us a, a little bit about that? How you kind of see see that the world of that lifecycle management and some of those handoffs. And, and whatnot. What's in, what's important yeah. in your mind as you deploy? Yeah. Well, I mean, look. Certainly, if you think about the front end of the, the asset lifecycle, the asset, the uh, acquisitions process, and I'll just you know again using our software as an example. You know, uh, the the owners and the investors are aggregating a tremendous amount of information about those assets, right? Whether it's you know trend roll information, uh, it's you know all the uh, you know, financial data, everything that's going to be used in the underwriting and in the valuation assumptions. Uh, if it's, uh, you know, property that they're then going to, you know, recapitalize and develop, they may be, uh, you know, might be engineering information, you know, construction plans, et cetera. So we're going to collect a lot of that information at the beginning of the process. But if we were to assume 
that we were the, you know, the end of that, you know, that process as well, that would be doing the, you know, the, the owner, the investor, a tremendous disservice. So our job then is to make sure that the ability to hand off that data to the next system, whether it's a construction management platform, or it's a rent roll accounting or asset management platform, portfolio, investor relations, leasing, you know, products, you know, products that handle the leasing uh, process like VTS and others, you know, our job is to make sure that there's a seamless flow of that information that's collected during the acquisitions process to these other platforms. And then hopefully, once the investor is ready to exit that investment, you know, down the road, five years, seven years, 10 years after their hold period, and they're ready to dispose of that asset, hopefully at a much appreciated value at that point in time, we'd love for that handoff to take place the other way, right? Now coming from the asset portfolio management back to deal path so that we can help with the, the disposition process. Awesome, cool. Well, thank you. We'll bring you back for the panel Q&A. Appreciate your, uh, your input and your presentation there. Um, let's go ahead and, and move on. Uh, this is, I think, our final video of the day um, from uh, MRI. We believe in the power of a well-connected community. That's why we build software that transforms how people live, work, and play. It's the reason we're creating new ways to attract great residents and deliver digital experiences that make life easier for you and your tenants. We believe that businesses should have less busy work and that the right data should be easily accessible so every lease works for you. We design software that's truly open and flexible, giving you more ways to adapt, more ways to grow, and more ways to shape your future. We strive to create ways for communities to live better, work smarter, and play a whole lot more. Because we believe people thrive in well-connected communities. All right. Hey, Ryan, how are you doing? Can you hear me? Hey, good. How are you? I can hear you. Great to see you. Great I'm to see good. you. All right. So, Sarab is the Chief Product Officer at MRI. Uh, Rob, uh, or Sarab, I think you're going to uh, you're going to give us a little bit bigger of a picture here in terms of the stack. Uh, so, why don't you take it away? Yeah, I'll try to. I'll try to. Give, I'll try to be quick. I uh, first of all, I thought the, the video kind of <laughs> told half the story, uh, but also, you know, really I get to be last, and I'm thinking about you know what John, uh, Dean, and Rob said. Um, a lot of what you're going to hear is really, you know, I think we all believe that if we look at the world of you know, your world, the world of IT folks, it, it's kind of chaotic out there, isn't it? Like you've got all these different systems to manage, you've got these business user requirements, uh, the world is changing, the world of real estate is changing real quick. And so, you know, I think one thing that's common between all of us is that we're trying to figure out how do we, how do we provide you with the most flexibility that we possibly can. Uh, and so what I want to talk about just for a couple of minutes here is, you know, what's a, what's a reasonable platform strategy or an IT strategy to achieve that? So uh, this slide just basically shows, you know, what are we trying to achieve as a company? But also, I think, what are you trying to achieve? I think in many cases, as your businesses grow, in some cases, some of you started off in, you know, multifamily and you evolved to mixed use and you might evolve to commercial or other things. Um, and maybe in the other direction as well, as the market shifts, uh, you know, I think your strategy and ours is really to try to provide uh, the, the, the broadest set of capabilities for all the users and, and, and the, the, the assets that you're trying to manage. And you're trying to do that 
on as, as unified a platform as, as you possibly can. You know, that's also very consistent with what we're trying to do. Uh, we know that there's, you know, thousands of companies out there doing some really great things. And uh, the right answer really is try to find a way for, uh, for us all to kind of basically work together. And so when we think about our platform, what we're trying to do at MRI, uh, you know, open and connected, you, you saw it in the video, has always really been our DNA. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of what we invest in is trying to figure out ways to connect the dots, not just between, you know, the different things that we provide, but I think actually more importantly to you, uh, find ways to help you connect the dots between, you know, some of the things that we do, but also what our partners are doing and what people outside in the ecosystem uh, is doing. We, we actually don't believe that you should have to choose between, you know, MRI or Yardi or RealPage or uh, Entrada. Like there, there, should, there should be a world where these different solutions can work together because oftentimes as you acquire uh, properties and you move from one to the other, you're kind of bringing technology along with you. So these things need to work uh, together. So we think about sort of our approach to that. It really comes down to these kind of key layers. Uh, you know, uh, I think John was talking a lot about, you know, sort of physical building. Uh, if you think about the prop tech stack, the prop tech stack is effectively the digital representation of the physical building, right? It's all of the accounting and processes and the data that flows through that, uh, the leasing uh, process and so, so forth. And so there's these kind of key things that we look at. One is the data services layer, which, you know, uh, Rob and Dean and others also talked about. It's absolutely critical, right? You need an open data services layer to, to connect the dots between things. Um, and you need it to be super flexible because I suspect one of the things that you face all the time, if you're anything like any of us, is you've got executives and people constantly arguing about data, right? Who has the right data? What is the right data? Do we have all the data? And so finding ways to be really flexible to get data together is, is valuable. A uh, shared service is another really key part of you know, sort of our DNA, but I think it's really important for you as well in terms of thinking about, you know, when you, when you build solutions, you need to be able to reuse bits and pieces from different platforms. And so we're trying to increasingly componentize the things that we build so that when you, when you use some of our technology, you can use the whole thing if you like, you know, obviously that makes us happy, but you can also take, you know, just our document signature piece, or just our AI piece, or just our data services piece, or just our accounting piece. Uh, and so we try to keep things as, as componentized uh, as possible. And of course, uh, on top of all of that, you know, trying to provide some consistent user experiences. And I, I think that's also something that you need to think about from an IT perspective, because as you work with your business partners, uh, really thinking about, you know, what are all the different tools that they want to use? Because all those tools don't necessarily come from one vendor. And so for you to have like kind of a UX strategy on, well, how will these things plug together? And how will, you know, can you have SSO? Can you have a common login? You know, these kinds of things uh, as well. So um, with that, let me just jump to the next slide, which is, which is, really, oops, which is really the last one here. Um, I, I'm obviously not going to go through these different pieces, but when we think about uh, prop tech and all the different services, these are some of the things that we're trying to do to componentize. And it's actually not a terrible idea uh, for you to use, you can maybe leverage some of this, right? Like for example, um, if you have commercial and residential and you're thinking about implementing a chatbot or something like this, like do you want to implement, implement two different technologies or do you, can you pick one thing that serves as a common service? Same with payments, right? Can you, uh, instead of having one payment engine for residential, another payment engine for commercial, you know, can you implement a single payment engine? Uh, and so on and so forth throughout the whole stack. Uh, and as I pointed out before, having a single data services stack that allows you to integrate things together uh, is also uh, critically important. So I'm going to stop there. I think a lot of you know, really great things were said uh, long before me, but uh, I think what will get interesting is the conversation around, you know, what's the right technology approach uh, and how do you compartmentalize things to have that flexibility that you need? 
So, so Sarab, a c couple things you, you you picked up on there, um, and and I'd like to maybe a ask you a similar question to how I to what I asked Rob in in terms of organizational maturity, right? So, you know, and I think you touched on a little bit when you were talking about you know companies having different systems and not all the full stack is MRI, for example, that we've got changing uh, in such so. Talk to me about organizational maturity again. When when you guys enter in, how do you assess this and kind of say, well, we probably shouldn't touch that because it's pretty core uh, and it's in place versus, hey, you guys probably think about replacing that because we got to get to, you know, what's the mindset? What kind of what's the, 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 the line of thinking as you kind yeah, of go think, into that? Yeah, that's a great, great question, Ron. I think I think there's sort of two two parts to it. Um, one is, uh, and I'm going to apologize for saying something, something so generic, but it's training and learning and development. Like I think sometimes if you face organizational maturity challenges, just like actually taking the time to put people through some courses, have them learn a modern way of doing things, uh, have them get their hands on with some modern tools, whether it's analytics tools or reporting or whatever. A lot of times people, you, you can't get that maturity that you need without people being aware of the art of the possible. And I, I know that sounds like kind of an obvious answer, but it's, it's a step that many of us skip sadly um i'll give you an example you know we we're making this massive pivot at mri to be ai first and it started with you know the purchase that we made of leverton a few years ago and last year as we really started to ramp this up the first thing i did was train over 500 people on ai right uh so a, a cultural shift does start in many ways with um learning development it really does the other thing i'd recommend is like very pregnant sorry go ahead no, 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 continue, sorry, keep going, keep going. Yeah, yeah, no worries. So the other thing I would say is very pragmatic attention to the shifts you wanna make. And so a lot of the times you don't need to rip out old technology. You don't need to like completely, like oftentimes what I see is people go, well, we're gonna completely change this. They come up with this like five-year vision that they'll never actually be able to execute on because in some cases the, the person driving it might not even last long enough to do it. So this pragmatic step-by-step, -step, how do I take what I have and incrementally move towards our goal again it seems like a very obvious thing to state but um lot, lots of times you can just put a reporting layer on top of all this stuff and you start changing the way that people think about the data and think about the processes it can be as simple as that in some cases yeah th that makes sense and yeah you know, i know i know i don't know if you if you if mri experienced this but i know but, but prior to you know, our COVID shutdown. I mean, we were starting to see some transformation, especially maybe in some of the workplace or digital experience areas. And, you know, that, that the past two years maybe have uh, allowed real estate organizations to think about their processes a little differently and, and being able to support uh, a more flexible workforce, for example, as, as we kind of re return, finally return to the office. You've mentioned, you know, kind of the importance of the business understanding what they need. Um, you know, uh, I imagine that business requirements are important uh, as you go into some of these, as they uh, as they do probably play into this organizational maturity as well, or at least target state, right? Um, you, you discussed a little bit about to um, uh, strategy, data strategy, and UX strategy. Can you dive down a little bit deeper um, on both of those components and how does MRI think about a, a data strategy, especially in those situations where you guys aren't the full stack, where you come in in, in bits and pieces? What are some important parts on, on kind of both sides of that equation? 
Yeah, so I mean, it's, again, it's about using as many open standards as you possibly can, right? And so our strategy, you know, we're, we're moving towards Azure, we're building our data lakes, all that kind of stuff. But it's actually what I would also recommend to any of our clients, which is pick an open, scalable technology. So a mistake a lot of people will make is they'll go and pick a reporting tool that does like simple extracts. And it kind of, it, it does a POC nicely and it lasts for the first couple of weeks. But the second you try to scale it, you start running into all kinds of problems, right? So, you know, pick a pick an open technology. Again, you know, obviously we'll, we'll happily sell one to you, but um, but the, the real answer is, uh, you know, pick an open data warehousing uh, approach. Um, and then on the UX front, this one's interesting. You know, the example that I use, I often use an example of something like, if you go and you buy insurance from Geico online, right? And you go and it's a really simple, it's a really simple interface, right? Really straightforward and all that kind of stuff. Uh, any any kind of idiot can buy Geico insurance. Uh, but behind the scenes, somewhere along the lines, I'm willing to bet, I don't know for sure, that there's a mainframe involved back there somewhere, right? So you don't, sometimes from a UX perspective, you can just hide the complexity away. You don't need to replace all the backend systems, but if you can, if there's APIs available, you can create some really beautiful, simple user workflows uh, that leverage you know, different technologies from the backend. And we're trying to provide some of those tools actually. Uh, but whether you again you use ours or not, the approach should really be: you know, how do you provide? How do you create a workflow and veneer across all the different kind of bits and pieces behind the scenes? Um, yeah, that, that that's the approach we certainly take from an out of the box, you know, tooling perspective. But again, I think it's a good uh, lesson for any IT IT shop. Excellent, excellent. Okay, well, let's do this. Um, we're doing pretty good on time. Uh, this will give us maybe a little bit more time. Uh, for our Q&A session. So why don't we go ahead and and bring the other other folks back and we'll we'll start some some panel discussion um, Live audience, please uh, please don't forget to um, uh, To use the Q&A. Uh, this is a, a great opportunity. I'm going to pop my chat out here and uh, make sure that I'm catching everything that's coming in um, uh, Good. All right, we've got Got a couple. Good. All right. It looks like we we have everybody. Welcome back, everyone. Um, I'm gonna just kind of seat us here with a with a couple of questions, but um, please feel free. Again, I want to make this very interactive. So if you guys uh, have something else that you want to uh, or divert towards, please feel free to do so. Um, let me start with this. I got a couple couple of a couple of easy I think easy softballs, and I'll as I mentioned, kind of start on my left, which is Sarab, uh, then Rob, Dean, and John, and then we'll come come back the other way as we kind of go through some of these questions. Um, so Sarab, I'll start with you. Um, one thing that we haven't touched on, which I'm guessing uh, many of our audience members have, is a global portfolio. And so when we think about um, the tech stack in a global portfolio, <laughs> What kinds of challenges or considerations do we need to kind of add into to our into the equation, Sarab? Wow, I don't know how to answer that shortly. I'll try my best. That's a that's a big bold question. Uh, well, first of all, listen, we we have, obviously we have businesses all around the world, and so we face this challenge ourselves. Property management in different parts of the world is different. I mean, that sounds like a fairly obvious thing to say, but the regulations are different. The history is different. The way these buildings are constructed and approached, it's all it's all very, very different. And so uh, I think what you need to do, if you have global um, assets that you're purchasing or, or trying to manage, you have to buy something 
that has that local experience out of the box. You just have to. Like, uh, I mean, we learned it the hard way when we bought something. Like, hey, we can converge these two things, and you go into the details. And it's like, oh my god, these are just they just run differently. They're just the the the, the, the way that properties are managed in different parts of the world are different. So that's my first thing is, you know, just make sure you have something that's actually fairly local. Uh, but then if that thing can be open, that allows you to integrate it. You can integrate it at the data level. You can integrate it at the UI level. Uh, you can partner with, obviously, real foundations and others. Uh, but you can, you can then uh, integrate that into your global portfolio. I think that's the easiest and most pragmatic approach. Um, I'll stop there. I can go on forever on that. Good. No, that's okay. Good, good. Rob, you, you have some absolutely some special considerations being in the world that you live in. How, how do you guys deal with global? Well, first of all, pardon me. Um, I think Rob hit on uh, a critical, very critical point, which is you can't make an assumption that the, uh, you know, the process of acquiring, managing, or disposing of real estate is, is identical across every country, culture, et cetera. So, uh, you know, number one, we want to make sure that, uh, at least for our customers, that we can alter, configure the platform for some of those, you know, nuanced differences across, uh, you know, each each country. Uh, and by the way, uh, those differences exist even just within North America. You know, the way that, uh, you know, property is acquired and managed and reported on in Canada is still, you know, materially different than it is in the U.S. So even across, uh, you know, just across this border in North America. So, uh, you know, number one, it's making sure that you can configure and adapt to those, you know, nuanced requirements. But number two, and again, I'll just kind of reiterate something that I heard in Mr. Rob's response. Um, you got to make sure that you can normalize uh, across all those countries and all those geographies for when you're wanting to roll that data up at an aggregate level, whether it's for portfolio reporting or whether it's for benchmarking performance, you know, from, uh, you know, one geography, one team to the next, one asset to the next, et cetera. So, you know, adapt it, but then make sure that, you know, the way that you've adapted and the way the information is structured can be normalized so that at least then you have consistency from a global reporting standpoint. Yeah. So look, look at the processes first, uh, get the, get the technology on top to, to kind of belong. Yeah. Good. Okay. Excellent. Um, Dean, I, I'm guessing you've got plenty of experience with yeah, clients across the globe. How do they, how do they, how do you, uh, how do you have them deal with it? What are your recommendations to them? Yeah, I think it, it's been said uh, the localization, the, the one thing that can be very challenging is the fact that if you're truly running it out, let's say we'll just use North America and U.S. as a, as a, as a basis, and that's where you're being run out of. If you don't have and understand local presence, and if you are not understanding the cultural aspects of running that piece of real estate, what the reporting requirements are, and a lot of clients have said, well, wait a minute, we measure this in the U.S. like this. We should do that to the same thing over in uh, Europe. Let's say it doesn't work. You have to take like it, I call it the same store scenario. We have same store for REITs in the U.S. We need to do the same thing with our portfolios as as we look across as we look across regional aspects, cultural aspects, country aspects. And I think what we see a lot of that in our clients that are investors is that you get somebody who says, "Oh, I'm just going to go and we're going to go." buy this portfolio, let's say out of Germany, and they just don't understand from a cultural aspect, that means that you have to do these type of things. And then the other piece that they forget 
is the whole aspect of the you know accepted principles of data use the accepted principles of the data privacy and you can run into a real serious problem as you're going through that process so from a data perspective it really does it, it, it can be apples and oranges as you're looking at it so you have to make sure localization was said and actually just knowing exactly what you're trying to compare to in that in, in that particular region or that area mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I'm gonna I want to pick up um, in a follow-up question on on the data part there Dean so uh, might might come back to you specifically on, on that particular component. Um, so so John, how does this tr translate um, for the for the building tech or the prop tech side of this? I, I assume there are some global challenges at play here as well. Definitely, and Heinz being in 21 countries, we're keenly aware, uh, acutely aware of all of the various obstacles we run into. We also operate in the four major pillars of real estate and just the differences alone between the hardware used and the dollars available to implement hardware at the different levels and the different pillars is tremendous. Uh, we run into it everywhere. I've, As the others have talked, I did neglect to mention the one part about the API infrastructure. I've That's a big part of what I'm trying to do with our hardware and our buildings is making sure that the the hardware is API enabled as well, because there is a future position of being able to see and control that hardware at the application layer up in the cloud at some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you kind of touched on it too there, John, and maybe we, transition to, to data I'm excited to talk about data apparently but um, so clearly uh, prop tech or building technology uh, components produce a lot of data right they produce a lot of um, very important data at least to the to the building operator um, uh, how how do you control that data feed uh, how does that data get to potentially centralize? And I'll ask some of the others from an application perspective how that information plays into their uh, their products and their tools. But talk to me a little bit about the the building technology data strategy, and we'll see if we can tie that into the rest of the data strategy. The data points are growing tremendously, and there is more data than you could ever know what to do with. We have one project I'm working on right now where we pulled a report and we have 157,000 different data points just from one property. And so the question was, they, they, they came back and said, well, we want all the data. And we said, no, you don't. Um, it, you need to have a process for going through and determining, and you have to be able to answer the first question, which is, what are you wanting to do with the data? If you don't know what you want to do with the data, there you're going to get a bunch of data that is useless to you. You have to know what your end game is or what you plan to do with it. But as far as controlling it, that's where it really comes down to you need a strategy around how you're going to do the network at the building to control your broadcast domains. We've had buildings just completely shut down because of adding one new technology that crossed that line of what the hardware could handle. And so and it's a learning curve, especially for property managers and building engineers coming in now. I mean, 
networks before, it was not a big deal. You had BMS HVAC system, which had a few data points they were sending out and you were using them to monitor pumps being up and down. But now we've got metering devices that have 18 points, data points coming out of just one metering device. Or we have our uh, fan terminal units coming out with nine data points each. And you have one floor of 60 of those, you do the math, you start adding up those data points really, really fast. And they're all trying to talk on the same uh, broadcast domains. And if you don't plan that infrastructure properly, you don't plan that network property properly, it's it's never going to work. And then yeah. the question it, of how do you get the data out starts coming into play and working with your partners really, really closely to figure out how that data gets upstream. Yeah, that's exactly exactly where I was going to ask ask my next question for you is is do you, do you guys aggregate that data um, in a centralized fashion? Do, do we make it available to some of our upstream systems today? This the I'll just say yes that there is different thoughts going into that, and we've got different vendors helping us with different partners looking at how we're going to pull that data in, how it gets out there, because you also have to look at privacy concerns. You have to look at the question of, we don't want, our tenants don't want other tenants seeing their data. So we have to be able to still control the data, but at the same time, make it available to the people that are due the data. You know, each tenant has the right to see the data for their space, but you don't, you can't give them direct access to the building. So you've got to have a, you have to have that in between, you have to have that middle layer where we you control the pool and the, or the data lake as some of the technologies are uh, referring to it, and then how you disperse the information from there. And that's where our, yeah. the other gentlemen here come into play in helping disperse that data, hel helping us figure out how to disperse yeah. that data. Yeah, and and I, I and I imagine there is a uh, not not all data needs to go upstream, right? So so. So Dean, let me let me kind of turn turn to you. I mean, what what kind of uh, you know I call it master data or centralized data, you know, from from your operating model perspective, what, what do we need to be keeping here, and what do, what can we leave behind in, in there in the systems of origin that help support the life cycle uh, the life cycle uh, process, but also the the tech stack. Well, I think you have to really look at what your organization is looking to do, what they need to do with the data, what the strategy is they want to do with data. You know, it's going to be a different for an investor. It's going to be different for an owner. So you really need to, and, and again, going to the operating model and going to the informational model, you really have to take a look at what and how and why you're going to use the information. What is what what is it going to provide the value for you as you look in and go and say, I want somebody to see this because they have to because they need to make this decision. They need to put a strategy around us. Why are you doing it? And I think what we've seen and it was brought up uh, and, and, I, and it just made me laugh in my, my career is the fact that the ERP solutions that were being built back in the day and all the things that they were supposed to be to everybody. And now you look at that and go, well, wait a minute, there's a reason that we have point solutions. There's a reason that, that those type of things did not work because at the end of the day, everybody trying to get into what was considered at those days, and I'm dating, my, dating myself, is that was an accounting system. Well, I don't want to go in the accounting system. 
That's that's for the accountants. That's back office. I don't want to do it. But it really wasn't. There was information. If it could have been displayed in a different way, a different method around just showing the engineer, the property manager, the um, accountant themselves, what they want to see, then you could do it. And so that's why the operating model, the information model, the functional model are so important because you want to be able to break those things down to say, I really truly want to capture this information and this is what I need people to see. Yeah, excellent, excellent. And and and, and Rob, um, you know, I imagine there's probably some information that John is producing that you'd like to have from a from an asset, um, uh, you know, perspective. Um, maybe some scenario design. Certainly, space utilization is a is a key component. We're seeing lots of things like sensors come on the market. Space planning certainly has an impact on how we how we uh, find and negotiate transactions and for space talk to us a little bit about you know again maybe some of the inputs and outputs here context but talk to us about some of that data that you feel is core to what you guys need that maybe isn't necessarily uh sourced or originated from your system yeah well i thought by the way john made a terrific point with respect to uh, you know, having at least some baseline understanding of what you want to do with the data, like what what is sort of the uh, uh, what are the insights that you're looking for? Uh, you know, there's a determination of like what type of data should you try to aggregate and collect? Maybe the one area where I'll uh, sort of differ a little bit in terms of our perspective on that is we see that you know just through the process of uh, pushing hundreds and in the case of some clients, thousands and tens of thousands of potential acquisitions through you know the deal path pipeline that uh, when you can sort of rise up above that transactional data and look at it from a 30,000 foot perspective and you've got reporting tools to help you do that you start to see some trending that may exist in the data that you didn't even know was there right and that trending could be you know maybe it's segmented by asset type or by geography or for particular teams or individuals portfolio managers etc so really I think it starts with you have to you know, first you have to have a process and a method for aggregating that information. And as I mentioned earlier, making sure it's normalized across, you know, uh, you know, all the teams and all the geographies. But then, you know, the ability to look at the data at, uh, you know, at, at a higher 30,000 foot level uh, to maybe gain insights that you didn't even know that you're, you know, potentially looking for. But Brian, just to your original question, you know, the, the information that's collected by you know, building management systems by, you know, the, the accounting and ERP platforms, uh, you know, construction management, leasing platforms. Uh, you know, we just recently announced the partnership with, with Sirop's product with, with MRI. And I know that one of the things that our customers are very excited about with respect to being able to uh, leverage the MRI data is taking uh, actual observations, you know, very, uh, uh, you know, factual empirical data from these systems that collect that information and actually using it to inform investment decisions versus the old days of making assumptions, right? The old days was, let's throw a dart, let's, you know, we think that this is what our time to lease is, this is what we think rental rate growth might be, this is what we think that, you know, sort of the appropriate, you know, growth in, in value or downtime on, on particular space might be. But if we can actually use data from systems like what John's describing or from platforms like MRI to inform those assumptions based on actual empirical data, you wind up with a far better result and we believe far better investment decisions. 
Yeah, excellent, excellent. Um, so, you know, we, we had touched on it, I think, a little bit, but, um, you know, as we stitch together these solutions again, whether it's all from the same uh, same vendor or not, um, there is, it is important to do so. So first, because you had touched on this a little bit, but we've never actually explicitly, at least on this panel, talked about the importance of the, the uh, having a unified tech stack or connected tech stack. So maybe if you could just touch on that a little bit and then and then get us back into a little bit more of the, the data from uh, MRI's perspective yeah. and how you kind of see it flowing in and out and some of the important elements. Yeah, so you know, I uh, if I was if I was to ask that maybe the audience walk away at least with one one thing from me, it would be embrace the chaos, right? And I I think about like, could you imagine if you had to design a fridge, knowing exactly and precisely all the things that could ever be put in the fridge? It's impossible, right? Uh, because there's there's an infinite amount of possible recipes and food out there, right? It's just impossible. So from a data perspective and from a platform perspective. I think the best strategy is to assume that you need to put stuff in there that you don't know about yet. And so you wanna, so for example, from a data perspective, what I say is, you know, try, try to figure out what your primitives are. Like you care about properties, you care about units, you care about residents, you care about, you know, figure out what your primitives are, but build your, your model in such a way that you can plug anything against those primitives. So for example, if you have sensor data uh, from an HVAC system, that you you know you, that that data is going to be different from every HVAC system, right? The list of things that it, that's being measured is different, and so you can't have a data model that only has enough columns for those specific things. You want to take, for example, a NoSQL approach, which allows you to attach any JSON object to uh, to that data, right? So I think if you just approach it from the perspective of you don't know what data is going to be in there, <laughs> right? Uh, and you design a system that has these primitives. And oftentimes you can look at Oscar, for example. It's, it's, I, think, I think it's probably overly complicated, but uh, at least there's some key principles there. You say, hey, these are some key principle, uh, primitives I can use. And then just allow any data to come in. For example, you're, you're going to want to know for your property Google ratings. Now, the answer is yes, right? Of course the answer is yes. But who's going to design a system that can take in Google ratings? Nobody. You have to design a system that, that can take in anything, and Google ratings just might happen to be one of those things, right? So, anyhow, I would say, you know, from a data perspective, you know, design it so that you can you can have some NoSQL elements so that you can put in arbitrary data coming. Some of it can be real time, some of it can be not. And it's the same approach to a platform, right? Assume that tomorrow your head of marketing is going to go and buy some new system or advocate for some new thing, and you're going to have to plug it in, and you have never heard of the thing before. Uh, I think if you take that approach, you'll probably be pretty safe. Yeah, yeah, and 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 um, so, Srab, you 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 may be unique uh, on this panel in the sense, um, t um, the uh, sort of the edge to cloud or or the the on-prem to cloud kind of connectivity, right? I mean, you guys have things that have to sit on-prem. <laughs> uh, there's things uh, or or on the edge, uh, whichever term you want to use. There's clearly some of the software and, you know, like Rob's, for example, that can clearly sit in the cloud and maybe a good, good place for it, depending on each organization. Um, but how, how do you guys, where, I mean, there's, so there's clear lines, right? But the stuff in the middle, um, what are some of the aspects or, uh, of how you, how you uh, inform your, your clients or customers about yeah. what, what to choose or which direction to go? Well, the first thing is, and I think everyone will probably say the same thing at this point is go cloud, right? Like, I mean, 
like it, it's just too much pain to try to manage these systems yourselves. Uh, you get a lot more connectivity in the cloud, you get automatic upgrades, or at least you get easier upgrades, depends on the system you're dealing with. Uh, and so, first of all, you know, build your strategy around a highly scalable, potentially uh, you know, multi-tenant, containerized cloud approach. And that's what you should definitely do on the data side. You don't know how much data you're gonna need, and you don't know where the data is gonna come from. And so a cloud-based data strategy for sure is the right thing, and probably a cloud-based ERP strategy is the right thing as well. Once you've decided that, well, as long as the thing is internet connected, everything else is just a data source, right? So you, you're gonna definitely have on-premise systems, but as long as you can, you know, whether it's punching a hole in the firewall or doing whatever special magic needs to be done, but allow for the, the, the on-premise thing to send data to the cloud thing, uh, you can certainly do cross-product analytics and all those things as well. So, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that the future is obviously all cloud, 100% cloud, um, but there's an evolution, right? And for the next maybe decade, um, people will have things on-prem and they'll have old systems, maybe two decades, I don't know. Um, but you really want to connect the two together for sure. Yep, 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 yep. So, so, so Rob, um, you know, one, one area that I'm guessing you guys need to focus on is uh, if we get to Sarab's uh, visionary world here where everything's cloud-based, that you, you guys have to stitch some clouds together, right? There's some, there's some things, and, and, you know, I'm assuming you guys have run into that today already. Um, with different with different vendors, any any challenges there? Any any gotchas? Anything to watch out for? Or what do we what do we need to well, think about there? I mean, so you know, admittedly, you know, in the last seven or eight years, if we're dealing with another sort of package software solution with another vendor, uh, you know, most have kind of gone towards uh, either they're natively a cloud based application, or at least they have the ability to pump data into you know a cloud or our cloud, uh, you know, using their API, or we can tap. There, where we actually have the most difficulty is with homegrown solutions. Uh, you know, working with firms that have endeavored to, and in some cases, spending you know millions or tens of millions of dollars building these, uh, you know, internally developed solutions where that type of interoperability uh, or cloud-hosted data was just kind of not a core focus for them or wasn't a key criteria. Or in many cases, that legacy system is just so long in the tooth that you know it it was developed before the days of you know apis so it uh makes that data harder to uh you know be able to extricate and uh you know commingle with our information or pull we, we've gotten quite good at it we have a uh you know similar to services that i know real foundation says we have a you know a services team that uh will go into you know those clients organizations and and try to you know build tools to uh, be able to extract that data but yeah we, we face much greater challenges with homegrown uh applications than we do with you know the uh, you know sort of the ecosystem of other platforms out there moral of the story today don't don't build your own there's plenty of good products out there uh, don't don't, Dean, don't Dean, build Dean, what you can oh. buy yeah <laughs> that's right that's right dean what what do, you, what do you see in there what what uh what do your clients uh have in terms of you know, cloud to, to on-prem, to stitching that all together to kind of maybe even the transformation to Sarab's visionary future state here. Well, Sarab's visionary future state is, I agree with, I mean, I, I'll, I'll say that right up. I mean, that, that is that is the strategy, going to cloud. I have to laugh, you know, you think about cloud and, you know, again, dating myself. Uh, anybody remember mainframe? It used to sit at Pfizer and that's how the banking world was done. That's, I mean, we're, we're back at cloud, but we're now taking much more pieces of information, much bigger, bigger, um, again, data lakes that could become, you know, 
polluted, but we, we've got to make sure that information is what we need and where we want to get it. Getting clients out of their own homegrown solutions, I will second that. That has been a challenge for many of the older legacy clients, but we are starting to see as the more, uh, I guess, a younger workforce, the fact the matter of that, to be, able to, to be able to support those solutions, you don't have the engineers, you don't have the people that can do that. So you're, 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 you're starting to see that it has to happen. The good news is, is that the solutions that have been put in place today, because they are cloud, the ability to get to them is a much easier, not easy, but an easier process to move to those solutions and get the information to those solutions. The second piece of that is that, again, with the younger workforce, you're starting to see the ability to, oh, I don't even want to use that thing over there anymore because I want to do something again yeah. on this, or I want to do it in an iPad, or I want to do it. So that's making that as the maturity of the organization's management um, comes into play. And, and as far as where it's a younger, uh, younger generation, we're starting to see that easier move. now. The other side of that, and to Sarab's, you know, Sarab's point and the other, other solutions are out there, it's like you're having that, they're looking at these solutions and going, well, wait a minute, why isn't it fully in the cloud? Do I really have to have that component on my on my premise? Do I? And so there's a scramble going on to make sure that you are in a cloud-based solution. You do have that capability. Can it run, you know, and, and just be something I, if you will, the words plug and play into. And that's that's what we're seeing. We're starting to see that over and over as far as, wow, I really need this to be at this point in its in its in its or sorry in its maturity and it's not quite there yet and we're starting to see that yeah. running into the roadblock. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, that's excellent. Thank you, Dean. And John, you clearly have components that need to sit at the edge, right, or or on prem. Um, but I think um, and talk to us a little bit about what you've seen in the industry in terms of transformation from uh, an edge device that reports to a server that's local versus going right to the cloud, right? And, and you know, kind of what are some of the uh, balances that, uh, that you're seeing there um, in, terms of, in terms of that? And I think you're on mute, John. There we go, can you hear me now? There you are, yep. Mm -hmm. yes. For the buildings, you are correct. You can't not, you have to collect the data locally. So I'm firm believer and I take a hard look at what providers are focusing on being able to keep that data locally, but then push it to the cloud when the cloud's available again. Because the one thing that's for certain is our circuits go up and down. Now we are more resilient these days. I always recommend buildings have redundancy built in, but I don't know that it needs to be a full-on server at a site, but there has to be some component for capturing that data because you never want to lose the data stream. You want to make sure that there's always a consistency in the flow of that data. Otherwise, the data becomes more useless to you if it's not consistent. Um, and we do, I operate personally on a, for a cloud-first mentality even at the building level. I'm always looking for ways to make sure that everything we do can be accessed and managed from a cloud perspective. For one, it's more secure. It, we can always 
do better security. If you have things operating locally, you end up having to punch holes in firewalls so that people and tenants and users can get back in to access that data. I never want that scenario. I want my firewall locked down. I want everything going out and then have it controlled by a more secure world of the cloud environment. Uh, and then I noticed that uh, I did see that there was the one another question about cybersecurity. I can sum up the answer pretty much in one answer. It needs to be addressed at all levels. When I'm looking at it, new hardware, when I'm told there's a new device coming in, we are looking at it up and down the chain. What, you know, does attaching this device enable a security hole just from its existence because another device on the network can see it? You know, there's connections like that have to be addressed. So you have to have a team and we do, we have a cybersecurity team that their sole job is whenever we're putting a new device on, ask the hard questions. What is the, what do those devices touch? And what can they... Oh, I, I just want to, John, you know, from my experience at Tier and running the buildings there, I mean, the other part of it, and I, I think you'll agree with this, is the manufacturers themselves. They are so not there yet. And you go to talk to them about this stuff, which you would think some of the highest HVAC companies in the world, electrical panel folks, it, and they, they just stare at you and go, what? And you're going, no, your your solution has to be compliant like this. I have to, and if I'm going to install it again in another country, it has to be compliant. And they just look at you and go, what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but, but, a quick, but a quick quick plug in here for uh, for the Real Estate Cyber Consortium. Uh, if you haven't heard of them, uh, please look them up. They're on LinkedIn, uh, recinc.org. Uh, Dean, that's that. It, what you just it, it was hit the head, hit the nail on the head. It, that organization is trying to raise the collective bar in our industry, both on the producer as well as the consumer side. So, if you haven't had an opportunity, please please take a look at them. We have one minute left, y'all. Um, I want to oh, ask wow. one quick thirty seconds to each of you, uh, or, or less, um, in in our parting uh, commentary here. Um, one thing that you think uh, we should leave our audience with when they go and start seeking these systems, right? When they go and start to build their stack, if they haven't already, what are, what's one thing that they absolutely have to have to consider? John, let's start with you. I would say the most important, and from my experience that I learned from, is put your people in the field where they where the equipment is with the people. Have them immerse themselves and learn what it is they're dealing with. Don't leave them in a back room, not having ever seen what it is they're actually building a solution for. Make them Excellent. see it. Dean? Yeah, I would say, I mean, it's just like we what we all discovered in the days of putting in ERPs. If they don't understand the solution, they don't understand what they're working with, they, they don't have, and it was mentioned on training, and, and support earlier, if they don't understand it, number one, either you need somebody internally that really does and you can go to and talk to about that, or you need an organization that truly does to support you and give you that, you know, either an application, building support. There, there are a lot of yeah. good organizations that have been now formed because of the fact of the matter is that trying to find resources to do such is very difficult. So utilize those resources wherever you can, if that makes sense for your business. Awesome, excellent, Rob. I think there's a theme here that I'm going to build on and throw on people, and that's 
you know, believe it or not, I'm going to say, I don't think the only criteria ought to be the software, the technology. I think uh, if you're looking at solutions, you got to be looking at, you know, the vendor, the breadth of experience of that vendor. And most importantly, have they been able to demonstrate that they've achieved outcomes for other customers similar to the outcome that you're looking for? So as important as the software and the underlying technology is, I think the the experience and, uh, you know, the breadth of capabilities of the people that are going to help you implement it is just as important. Awesome. And last words, Rob. Yeah, it's, I would say, you know, similar to everybody else, focus on the value first, right? Like just start with, you know, what are the incremental things you can do to help drive the business forward, to drive better resident experience, tenant experiences, whatever it is that you're trying to do uh, and be bold with it, right? Like embrace new technologies, try new things. One of the things I hear often in this space is, you know, it's slow and we don't adopt digitization fast enough. I hear this all the time. It's like, guess what? We're the people that can change that right here on this call, right? Not the panelists, actually. It's actually the, the attendees uh, that can change that. So be bold, start with business outcomes. And, you know, we're all here to, to help you achieve, you know, whatever vision or dream it is that you have for your business. So I'll, I'll end okay. with that. Well, we could, we could talk all day, Chuck, but I, I'm guessing since you came on camera, you're here to, to give us the hook. Uh, I'm not going to give you any hook. I'm not going to boot you off. Great job, Ryan. Really appreciate it. Thanks to all the panelists, uh, again, for your valuable contributions. And I, I like the idea, uh, Sarab, be bold. I uh, heard a lot about watch the data. And I think a lot of times, you know, focus on defining those requirements. That's a, that's a great, uh, a great uh, advice for our audience. And, and for our live audience and those watching this recording, we do thank you for tuning in. And be sure to check out Friday's broadcast of Realcom Live. It starts at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Europe, where Jim Young will interview the Realcom 2022 Advisory Council Chairs. That's Jesse Carrillo, Cecilia Lee, and Jeremy Petit. Uh, our next webinar is on May 5th, we have, and we're, we're making one up that got a little bit booted out of the sequence. It's the second part of the Workplace and Experience series rescheduled from last month. It's focusing on connected building sensors, so you don't want to miss that one. And finally, be sure to go to realcom.com to register for the Realcom IBCon conference event in Orlando. It's June 15th and 16th. There is a golf outing uh, prior to that. There's a pre-conference events that many of the people you saw on this panel will be at, and you, you, you can interact with them there. I do hope to see you all there. That is a great opportunity to be able to interact with the vendors, with people like John and with uh, so many other owners, operators, you will uh, you will learn a lot, like John said earlier. So that's it for us today. Uh, we'll wish you well and be safe. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you, guys.